Hey, Harvest. Good morning. You made it. Not only did you make it to church today, but you made it into 2022. Congratulations. One more trip around the sun, right? Happy New Year. Man, I'm so glad that you have joined us here today. I am so excited to open up God's Word with you today as we start this new and I love New Year's because it's like a fresh start. It is a renewing, like, like we renew our car insurance, right? If your carrier allows you to. We renew our Amazon membership. And a lot of times you renew it without even knowing it. It's just kind of swept out of your account. But the same can be true as Christians, in our walk with the Lord, as we look into this new year, how about we try to look at some of the things that we could do better on and try to focus on those things as we walk with the Lord this year. As a pastor, and I, I look back over these last few years, of uh, this pandemic that we've been in. It's been two years, okay? I know it seems like 20, but it's only been two. I could see some of the areas where Christians have lost their focus. And it is my hope today that this message will be received as a call to deeper worship, to a greater prayer life, to a greater walk with the Lord. So will you meet me today in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and if you're joining us online today, will you also meet us there? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and while you head over there, let me just give you some context of this book. This book is written by the Apostle Paul, and uh, he wrote it to a group of people that he never met, to a church community that he did not start. In fact, this church community was started by a co-laborer in Christ with Paul by the name of Epaphras. And Epaphras was actually from the city of Colossae. And he would visit Paul in prison, and he would update Paul on how the Colossians were doing overall. He would also mention some of the cultural pressures that they were facing that were causing them to turn from Jesus. Things like false teachings and etc. So Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians to address the issues that Ephorus had raised to him. And Paul's hope was to challenge them in a new way of life, to challenge them to plant roots deep in Christ, encouraging them in hope and in love. And it's cool the way he opens the book. He focuses on Jesus Christ exalted, the exalted Messiah. And then he gets into addressing the pressures that were tempting the Colossians to turn away from Jesus. 
And then as we arrive here in chapter 3, he explores the new way of life that Jesus' resurrection opened up for them. Let's read these verses together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The title to today's message is A Renewed Focus on Eternity. A renewed focus on eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, would you allow the words that are spoken today to penetrate hearts, change us from the inside out. May we never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This word here, if, doesn't suggest uncertainty, but it more or less means since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above above. Paul is referencing here something that he said earlier in Colossians chapter 2 verse 12, where he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So in other words, once you surrendered your life to Christ, You were considered raised with him. What a great picture, right? What an awesome picture to be raised with the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the author and sustainer of all things, fully God and fully man, the King of kings and Lord of lords, you have been raised with him. And not only have you been raised with him, but you've been given fullness in him. Why? Because he's enough, right? So Paul is saying, since you've been raised with him, seek the things that are above. This word seek here means a continuous, ongoing effort. It means all the days of your life until your dying day, We are to be seeking the things that are above, persistently. Many of us, I'm sure we've all heard of Albert Einstein, right? Albert Einstein, the smartest dude who ever walked this planet. Look at him, a face that only a mother can love. Look at that. (laughs) But it looks like he's been through some stuff, right? But do you, do you know that Albert Einstein was dismissed from school 
because they said that he lacked interest in his studies. He next failed to pass an exam to enter another school in Zurich, so he became a tutor to boys at a boarding school, but then was fired from that job. But he persistent, persisted over and over again. And we know how that ended, right? He won a Nobel Prize for physics? Like, what? He went on to do great things, but it was through persevering that he was able to do this. Or let's consider the story of Lou Gehrig for you sports fans. Lou Gehrig was an awkward rookie. You may know the name from Lou Gehrig's disease, which is also known as ALS, but he was a baseball player. And he was observed by Ty Cobb one day. And Ty Cobb said, look at those piano legs. They'll never amount to anything. But do you know that he holds the all-time record for playing in 2,130 consecutive games? And he's known as the Iron Man of baseball. Such persistence focused on earthly rewards, as great as they are, cannot hold a candle to what is above. The seeking ought to direct our conversations. It should direct our friendships, our studies, and even our play. And when it does, it will enhance our fullness in Christ. Our focus should be seeking Christ who is seated at the right hand of God, it says. This is a picture of power. It's a picture of authority. But it's also a picture of proximity to the God of the universe. So he's in the presence of God. He has favor with God. He has the power of the Father. And he's doing something else for us there too. And we find it in Romans chapter 8, this is a power-packed chapter. I wish I could read the whole thing. So I just picked these three verses here that'll get us to the point that I want to make here. It says this, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who then is to condemn? The NIV version answers that question, and it says no one. Who is, it to, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. That's what he's doing. He's interceding for us. What a powerful picture there. He's the source. Jesus is our source. And not only does he act as our defense attorney, right, for our mistakes, but he also bore the punishment for those mistakes as well. Let us not forget that. So why do we think that we always have to try to fix everything all the time? You know, some people are just consumed with trying to fix everything, 
right? You ever meet that person that's like, I'm going to fix that. We'll see about that. The only thing that we should be trying to fix is ourselves. We should be working out our own salvation with fear and trembling and not trying to fix every problem that we think needs to be fixed. Because it's not up to us, because God is in control, and his plan is better than we can ask or think, right? Paul wants us to set our hearts on that. But he not only wants us to set our hearts on that, he wants, to, he wants us to also set our minds on that. And he says that here in verse 2. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why is that so hard for us to do? I'll tell you why. Because we see everything that's on earth. We are living here on earth. But the reason why Paul wants us to set our minds on things above is because sin starts in the mind. And since we're so great at it and we have a sin problem, he says, focus your mind on things above so you won't be distracted by the things that are here on this earth that will cause you to sin. You know, sin never appears irresistible until you try to break free from it. You ever notice that? Like, as soon as you say, I'm no longer going to do this particular thing, it seems like all of a sudden the gates open and you're just oblivious. You're just tempted even more and more and more. But in order for us to break free from sin, we have to get vertical. And that's what Paul is saying here. And we get vertical by asking God to give us his perspective on the people, on the events, on the circumstances that claim our time and deplete our resources and challenge our attitudes. Our hearts and mind tells much about what holds the throne in our lives, right? Our thought life, everything that we think about, if we're thinking about something all the time, that is the thing that is on the throne. And that's why Paul is saying, put your minds on things above because God should be on the throne in our lives. So the question or the challenge that I want to ask us today for this new year is, is your heart and mind set on Jesus? When we use phrases like, she has her heart on this, or he have his has his mind on this, it communicates a resolve. It communicates determination. It communicates a focus, a commitment to that thing. And it also suggests that it should be followed by action. Hearts and minds on things above. Our feet are here on this earth, right? But Paul is saying, put your heart and your mind on things above. And this echoes what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in 
heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure where for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart on things above. In other words, as followers of Christ, we should not be enslaved to earthly things, is the point here. God, not, God doesn't forbid earthly wealth, but he just commands us to not treasure it because it can be lost. However, storing up treasures in heaven in context may be fostered by spiritual disciplines of giving and praying and serving the Lord, performed in the right attitude and in the right way. We do these things because we don't expect an earthly reward, right? We do these things because there is a promise that there is an eternal reward, an eternal reward that's everlasting and in the presence of God. Paul is saying, focus your minds and focus your hearts on the things above. Because this world around us looks real, it feels real, but the reality is, is that there is something that is real and eternal, and it will be revealed to us on that day. That's gonna be such an awesome day. This world that we live in today is temporary, but there is a reality that's constant and eternal and that reality is in heaven, and it's unchanging. And what is that reality of heaven? What is the constant? It is this, that Jesus Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Let's put our focus on that. If we live our lives in that manner, it will change our thinking. It will cause us to live this life in a different way, in a God-honoring way. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Man, I can't stop saying that. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Let's not forget that. He can't be dethroned. There's no election in heaven, okay? <laughs> so when we have temporary hurts, and temporary pains and temporary disappointments focus on the fact that Jesus is still on the throne and he's interceding for you. Maybe you're struggling today with sin or shame or disappointment in yourself. That doesn't change the way that Jesus feels about you. Maybe you're struggling with some of the things that you see around you and it's causing you to take on some old habits, clouding your thinking on things. Maybe it's caused you to step back from serving in ministry. Maybe you find yourself being more conformed to this world. Well, the Bible warns us against that. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, 
testing. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Man, we could use a little bit more discernment nowadays. Too many of us are getting, too many of us are getting distracted by what's happening around us, and we're not properly discerning the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, I'll give you three basic principles of the will of God, and some of these things we've seen happening in the world around us recently. No, let's do what's not the will of God first. What's not the will of God is division. Division. If you find yourself supporting division, like they don't know what they're doing, they're going to wreck this thing, and they're sending it down, and you're like, yes, then maybe you've conformed to this world. Not the will of God is hateful speech. If you're just piggybacking on someone spewing out hate in their mouth, and you're like, yeah, you tell them. Maybe you've conformed. Not welcoming others. That's not the will of God. What is the will of God is loving one another. That's the will of God. I have an aunt who grew up in Mississippi, and uh, she's up in age now. So she's been in Mississippi when Mississippi was, you know, Mississippi. But she's a believer, and she's had awful things said to her over the years, and she never got out of character upset. And I would ask her, why, how can you do that? Like, as a teenager, you're like, how come you're not saying something? And she would just say, sweetie, bless their heart. Just bless their heart. It's almost like a prayer, like someone just got out of character with me. Lord, bless their heart, bless their heart. God's will is to serve the needs of his church and welcoming all, no matter their race, their color, their creed, what they smell like, what they look like, what economic background they come from, what political affiliation they have. We welcome them. Christian borders are invisible unless you put walls up. And sometimes we can put walls up and not even realize it. I think it's a healthy prayer to know that if you have a problem with this or you deal with these areas in your life, just ask the Lord to help you with that. Second point. Focus on dying. Verse 3 says this. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died, and your life is, this is present tense, meaning it's happening, it's going on right now. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me explain this. Our link with Christ is in his redemptive work, which makes us inseparable from him, right? 
as we walk with him, as we commune with him in this world, we experience a glimpse of heaven's delights and wonders. The thought is true that Christ is with us and within us while we're here on this earth, but it also works in the other direction too, because we're united with Christ, so much so that we're seated with him in heaven. And I know you're like, Ramirez, where does it say this in the scriptures here in Colossians that we're seated with him in heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because it doesn't say that here. It says it here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, here we go, raised us up again and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. We are seated with him. You surrender your life to Christ, you are raised with him, and now it's saying that we're seated with him in a metaphysical sense, of course. We've already entered into heaven, metaphysically. Isn't that cool? By seeing ourselves as part of this heavenly community, we can learn to rejoice how the heavenly community rejoices. They rejoice in God. They rejoice in his glory. They rejoice in his grace and his beauty. They rejoice when sinners repent. They rejoice in our faithfulness and our Christ-likeness and the beauty of God's creation. They rejoice in all of that. They rejoice in the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom over the coming judgment of sin. Heaven then is not only our future home, but is our home right now waiting for us. Come on, somebody ought to praise the Lord for that. If we really grasp this truth, guys, if we can really grab onto this, it will have a profound effect on your holiness. A man who sees himself seated with Christ in heaven in the presence of angels, that cry, holy, 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 won't spend his time getting caught up in the things of this world. It's no wonder that the enemy is so intent on keeping us from grasping our position with God. If we see ourselves in heaven with Christ, we won't, we'll be drawn into a deeper worship. We'll be drawn into a deeper relationship. Our prayer life will be different. We'll be ready to serve him here and now. If we can focus our hearts and minds on these things, then our old nature will not be a factor, making it easier to die to our old sin nature. Now, the fullest explanation of this is here in Romans Romans, Romans 6, verses 6 through 11, and it says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For 
one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus did for us. Christ not only died for us, but because we are in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, we died with Christ, which means that we can have victory over our old sin nature. I heard a story about these two friends. <laughs> they were party animals, all right? Like the two of them together. You know how sometimes you get a friend and they kind of feed off of each other? That's how these two were. And so they were the life of the party. And so they would always get invited to, to parties because they enhanced the experience for everyone, right? But one day they surrendered their life to Christ and they received another invitation to, the, to a party. And this is what their RSVP read in these words. We regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. When we put our focus on things that are above, we are less likely to become tripped up by the snare of sin. And this is my last point. Let's focus on things to come. And we see that here in Colossians 3 verse 4. And it says this, and then I'm done. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, that's a picture of eternal life. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But he's also a representation of eternal life. As we focus on things to come, we focused on appearing with him in glory. How exciting is that, right? Doesn't that make your day right there? I think focusing on that makes waiting so much greater. Focusing on that, we get less in the weeds on the things that are happening here on this earth. But this waiting is not a passive waiting. This waiting is not like the kid who's waiting to go outside and play soccer, but it's raining outside. And he's just sitting on the couch waiting. Oh, man, I wish it would stop raining so I can go outside and play soccer. 
but as long as it's raining, I'll just sit here on the couch and wait for it to stop raining. That's not the waiting of a believer in Christ. The waiting for a believer in Christ is like this. It's like you're waiting for that friend to come in from out of town that you haven't seen in like five years. And he's gonna come and spend the weekend with you. And so you're getting your house ready. You're getting all of the favorite snacks in the cabinet. And you're running around, cleaning everything up, changing the bedspreads, cutting the grass, getting a new tank for the grill, getting the house in order. That's what waiting as a believer is like. You know, me and my wife, uh, when, we, when my wife was pregnant with our daughter Gabriella, it was a blessing. You just don't know. We go through the process, right? And, you know, stomach's getting bigger. You're going for ultrasounds and things of that nature. There's evidence that there's a baby in there. There's evidence. I remember some of the times sitting on the couch with my wife and in my peripheral, I see something dart out of her stomach and it's like, what was that? Was that just what I thought it was? And my wife's like, oh yes it was. But we knew that she was there. We knew that Gabriella was there, but we just hadn't seen her yet. And as the time got closer, we started making preparations. We started getting the nursery ready. We started putting the crib together, painting the room, so that we can be ready when the delivery came. This earth is experiencing birth pains right now. And that baby is a coming. Are you ready? Is your house in order? These are some of the things that we should be focusing on as we see the chaos happening around us. There's not room for us to say, yeah, and they shouldn't, and they shouldn't, and I'm not going to listen to what they tell me. Now's not the time for that. Now's the time to get the house in order. Now's the time to be unceasingly praying with the Lord. Prayer night this Tuesday, January 6th. I expect that room to be packed with people seeking the Lord. Now's the time to be serving more than ever before. Now's the time to be worshiping with reckless abandonment, not caring what people think or say about you. We should be down at the altar during worship. We should be ready to get dirty, right? Because Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon, all right? Let's get our house in order. And let's not be the follower of Christ when the, when, the, when the sky cracks open that we're like, oh, wait, no, hold on one second. I'm not ready. It's too late at that point. We are to be ready before that happens. So let's live a life that is eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Man, that's going to be an awesome day.
Let's not take for granted what Jesus has done for us on the cross, on Calvary. Let's put our hearts and minds on things above, focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what problems you face, Jesus is our source. It's Jesus who changes who we are. What he did on the cross should change who we are. And as we, as we sing this next song, I want to encourage you today. If you feel like you've gotten sideways over the last year or two, pray or ask someone to pray with you right now as we sing this song. And let's get our focus back on the things that are above.